Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong. Radiant. Timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hey there, it's Michael Lewis. Before we get to this episode, I want to let you know that you can listen to each episode of Judging Sam. The Trial of Sam Bankman-Fried, ad-free by becoming a Pushkin Plus subscriber. And with your subscription, you'll also get exclusive access to ad-free and early bingeable podcasts, like Paul McCartney's new podcast, McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History, The Happiness Lab from Dr. Laurie Santos, and tons of other top shows from Pushkin. Sign up in Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm slash plus. Welcome to Judging Sam, The Trial of Sam Bankman-Fried. I'm Michael Lewis. Bankman-Fried was worth tens of billions of dollars before FTX, his cryptocurrency exchange, came apart at the seams. And now he's being tried for financial crimes that could send him to prison for the rest of his life. It's Thursday, October 5th, and in the studio this evening, we have our reporter Lydia Jean Cott and Rebecca Mermelstein, who's a partner at the law firm O'Melveny & Myers. I'm Jacob Weisberg, the co-founder of Pushkin, standing in for Michael Lewis. We're recording this after the third day of Sam Bankman-Fried's trial, and a lot has happened in three days. We're through the jury selection, the opening statements, and the first witnesses. So LJ, I'm going to turn to you first. You've been getting to the courthouse very early in the morning and lining up with the other reporters. What's the scene there been like? It's actually really fun. (laughs) Um, You know, reporters, we're all interested in each other, so everyone's kind of chatting and asking each other questions. And yeah, we get there at 6 a.m., and the doors usually open at 8, so it's about two hours. So people take turns running to get coffee and bagels. Um, One thing that's funny is it's a lot of crypto reporters, and they kind of think that this might be the last big story in crypto. So they're kind of covering their own funeral in a way. I haven't thought of it that way. That's really interesting. So I read the opening statements, which happened on Wednesday right after the jury selection. But I know that's not the same as seeing them delivered. How did they sound in the courthouse? 
The prosecution was very bombastic, I would say, in the way that they delivered their opening statements. Rebecca, in your bingo card, in a previous episode, you said that they would use the word lies, and they used the word lies a lot, and they hit it. They, they talked about how Sam lied to FTX customers, he lied to investors, he lied to lenders. At some point, the prosecutor actually pointed at Sam, and he said, this man stole billions of dollars from thousands of people. So I feel like they were trying to use simple sentences, you know, subject, verb, and they were trying to say, this is not a complicated case. This is simple. This man lied and he stole. Rebecca, how was the rest of your bingo card? I think there were victims, <laughs> greed, stole, and then defense would use the word complexity a lot. Did, did that yeah. match up, match up pretty well? I think I did better on the government uh, bingo card than the defense bingo card, actually. I think on the lies, the victims, the greed, I got it. On the defense one, I'm not sure I heard as much complexity as I thought I was going to. I will say just reading it that the prosecution opening statement was very strong and vivid. And I lost the thread a little bit a few times reading the defense statement. It was honestly, it read just a little boring. Exactly. I was actually going to say that. And I was like, arguably, you could say maybe um, confusing, which maybe was actually a strategy. And as opposed to the prosecution, the defense lawyer, he was a lot more soft-spoken. I think he kind of seemed fatherly. I think I read somewhere that it was kind of like he was, we were children and it was story time. Like I did see one juror nodding off, but I think he was kind of trying to tell an opposite story. He kept saying like, Sam is not a villain. I think he was saying like, this is not this bombastic, dramatic thing. Actually, like, let's be mature here. There's nothing really to see. This is just a young guy, a math nerd, who started this company, and it didn't work out, basically. The one metaphor that really stood out to me was how he talked about how a lot of startups, you're flying a plane as you're building it. That was the thing that I pulled out as to what happened here. And they were moving too fast, and they crashed, but no one meant to do anything bad. Mistakes, not lies, and fraud. Rebecca, what surprised you? Were there any obvious mistakes or any wins in the opening statements and the first witnesses? I think the thing that surprised me the most about the defense opening is that he didn't call the cooperators liars. And that's interesting because there's a lot of cooperators. I had anticipated you'd get a defense opening that called them liars and talked about why they were lying. This was a little softer than that, subtly so, I think, because defense counsel did say that the cooperators were motivated by needing to say what the government wanted to hear. But he didn't go that far to go all the way to lies. And he talked about the fact that hindsight is twenty twenty, which I think is going to be a defense theme here, and that the cooperators were viewing statements with that hindsight, that they were interpreting ambiguous statements in light of what the government wanted to hear. And so there's an effort, it seems to me so far, could change strategies as the trial unfolds to thread a needle, which is you don't have to think these cooperators are lying under oath to think they're wrong. They could be mistaken. They could be reading too much into things. And it, it gives you a little daylight where you can say, these four people may be telling the truth as they believe it, but they're wrong. And we'll see whether or not that strategy stays true throughout the whole trial. So that's a defense strategy. What would you say about prosecution strategy? so far? I think it's pretty as expected, I would say. The opening had the same structure you always see in government openings, what we would call the grab, that kind of early and initial description of things, then a narrative about what happened here, and ending with a description of how the government is going to prove its case. 
what kind of witnesses, what kind of evidence. Even the point, as um, I think prosecutors would call it, that, that Lydia Jean referred to, very traditional for a government prosecutor to, during the opening, point you know, with an extended dramatic point at a defendant, look at the defendant. It's really a way of signaling to a jury that you're going to ask to convict someone and send them to jail for a long time, that you are asking them to do that hard thing of sitting in judgment, and that you yourself are buying into that, that you believe it and they should believe it. So not surprised uh, by any of that. A couple little, I would say, nuanced points that were made, the government trying to lay a foundation to undermine what it predicts the defense might be without being defensive. Always hard to know exactly what the defense is going to be, so they may or may not be getting it right. A couple of examples. Um, at what point the government said that FTX was not a bank, it was an exchange, and so it can't borrow or spend customer money. We know from pretrial briefing that one argument the defense was trying to make is, look, your money in your bank account at J.P. Morgan Chase is in fact being used by the bank for its own purposes, and that's not illegal. It's totally fine. And so it was reasonable for that to be done here. I think that reference by the government was an effort to make sure that if the defense went there, the jury had heard from them first, that's not the same thing. That's not what happened here. And you heard that in a couple of places, a reference that the government puts in there to make sure that if the defense says it, the jury doesn't think, well, wait a minute, like that's new information. You say, oh yeah, right. I sort of heard something about that. So a couple other examples, uh, you heard reference to the fact that FTX had a program by which customers could lend out their cryptocurrency to other people. I think that's that same foundation. If there's going to be a defense that this was fine and people lend each other things all the time and he was just borrowing, the government preemptively said that program existed. That's not what happened here. Another kind of flip of a fact that was interesting is the government described Sam Bankman-Fried's charitable giving as self-promotional, that he did it to boost his own image as a way to gain access to look good. And the same with the story about the cover-up. Um, they talked about how in advance, in a very nefarious and intentional way, the government says, he was already laying the foundation of his defense. Um, for example, by acting like he wasn't in charge of Alameda when he was, by backdating contracts, by forcing people to communicate over encrypted apps so that communications wouldn't exist anymore. And they specifically said that as part of that cover-up, he tried to point to the terms of service as justifying what happened here. And in fact, his lawyer did do that in his opening. He put up the terms of service and said, we're going to talk more about this, but he was allowed to do it. So not a surprise, I think, but certainly an indication of what the government thought the defense was going to be. We'll be back after the break to talk about the witness testimony. As listeners of this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert teams of nerds have the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. 
Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility, meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first-place winner in the industry category at last year's Unconventional Awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, and I want to hear both of your thoughts about the witness testimony we've heard so far. The prosecutors have started calling their witnesses. The first was a French commodities trader who lost a lot of money on FTX. So I guess, LJ, how French was he, and why not an American victim? (laughs) I would say he seemed quite French, but he does live in London now. And, you know, People did, we did wonder why he was the victim that was chosen because he wasn't necessarily the most sympathetic victim as, you know, a commodities trader who lives in London. He did lose a lot of money on FTX and he had screenshots to show how he put money in the account. He showed how his money was there and he talked about how he thought it was safe and how the reason he invested in FTX was because he believed that his customer deposits would be safe there. But, you know, Rebecca, in our last conversation, you talked about how a victim would be 
you know, we should expect to hear from victims. And you mentioned a grandmother in Topeka. And I just kept thinking that this French commodities trader living in London is no grandmother in Topeka. They, of course, will have spoken to many, many victims, both as part of their own information gathering and, frankly, to find one who's going to be a good witness. So it's interesting because I think LJ is right, not the little old lady in Topeka that you might have guessed would come forward. But I do think someone like this witness satisfies a couple of requirements that the grandmother from Topeka maybe doesn't. First of all, you need someone or you want someone who's not just going to say, I invested in FTX and I lost money, so I am a victim and there are real victims here. You also want someone who's going to be able to say, I was paying attention. It mattered to me what Sam Bankman-Fried said. I listened to him. I read the documents that were provided before I invested. I followed what he said publicly about the safety of my investments. I used the app that showed where my assets were and what I had. So someone who wasn't as conscientious of an investor isn't as good of a witness for that purpose because you're not going to be able to show through them that these lies matter and that people relied on them. LJ, the jurors and you also heard from a college friend of Sam Bankman-Fried who said he quit when he didn't like what was going on there. And from Gary Wang, who was described by Michael Lewis in Going Infinite as a famously silent chief technology officer. What were, what were all those witnesses like? Yeah, so Adam Yadida, who was Sam's friend in college, who worked at both Alameda and FTX. I thought he was a very compelling witness. He was very forthright. He was an engineer. He seemed very precise in everything that he said. Well, there was this exchange I read about on a paddle tennis court. Why were they doing business there? It sounds very Bahamas. Yeah. So what happened was that Adam became aware that Alameda had $8 billion worth of FTX customer money. And he was worried about Alameda being able to pay back that money to FTX customers because $8 billion is a lot of money. And he talked about how he told Sam he was worried. And he asked Sam if it was a problem. And he recounted Sam saying to him, quote, we were bulletproof last year. I'm not sure if we're bulletproof this year. And he asked Sam how long until we're bulletproof again. And Sam said six months to three years. And this was just a few months before FTX filed for bankruptcy. So that's a damaging bit. And and how about this Gary Wang? What was he like? It was a really huge deal when he entered the courtroom. Everyone's been really excited to hear from him, in part because he's along with Sam, the founder of FTX and Alameda. And also, he has a reputation for never speaking. Michael talked about how <laughs> he wasn't able to interview him because he didn't say anything at all. I read, like, his high school did a story about him, you know, when all of this came out, and they interviewed his teachers, and there just weren't very many people who had really remembered or could say that much about him because he's known for being really, really quiet. But it was interesting when he took the stand because he actually had a lot to say, he spoke really fast. The judge and the prosecutor told them to slow down. And the rest of Friday is going to be dedicated to his testimony. He, you know, pled guilty to financial crimes. And um, specifically, he said, quote, we gave Alameda special privileges to withdraw an unlimited amount of funds and lied about it to the public. I should say that we can't bring electronics in the courtroom. So this is based on my notes. But he said something like that. 
And the prosecution asked him at whose direction did he act, and he said Sam's. So, Rebecca, the burden of proof is, of course, on the prosecution. Do you think at this point, after day three, they're getting what they need from the witnesses to prove their case? That's a hard question to answer from this distance. I would say it sounds like it's going very well for the government so far, but really too soon to say where it's going. I think it's important to recognize that in America generally, prosecutors win almost all the time. Prosecutors in the Southern District of New York, I would guess more so even than average. So even if you didn't know anything about the case from the get-go, the odds are always stacked pretty heavily against a defendant, even with the presumption of innocence. And the proof here does seem like it's going to be very strong. Rebecca, I actually have a question for you. Like in court, the defense lawyers keep making objections that get overruled. And when they're doing cross, the prosecution makes a lot of objections that are sustained. A lot of times the judge has called out the defense lawyers. He's brought them to side panels. Like it feels like the defense is having a really hard time and they're always in trouble. And is that normal? Is that usually how it feels? Or is is that of note? I don't know that there's a normal. Different judges have different practices about objections. Different judges give more leeway or enforce the rules of evidence more strictly. So it really is case by case and judge by judge. I do think one thing to keep in mind about the optics of that whole dynamic are a few things. The first is that the defense has an incentive sometimes to object even when they don't actually think they're going to win. They already know this judge doesn't agree with them because they are preserving the record for appeal. They, if Sam Bankman-Fried gets convicted, will obviously bring this case to the Second Circuit and they'll say the judge made legal mistakes. He let things in he shouldn't have. He kept things out he shouldn't have. And that prejudiced our case so badly that we need a do-over. There is no appeal from an acquittal for the government. If he's found not guilty, then double jeopardy attaches, and that's the end of the road. So the government doesn't have really any interest in preserving its record in that way because it doesn't really matter for academic purposes. So that's number one. Number two is that I think by and large, defense lawyers try to get away with a little bit more in the courtroom than government lawyers do. And so it's not uncommon for the defense to always be trying to push the envelope, sneak something in, And so not necessarily that surprising to me that you're going to see more objections being sustained on the government side. I think Judge Kaplan is also a little bit government friendly and strict about the rules of evidence. So again, not that surprising to me, but interesting to hear what your perception is, because of course, juries get told all the time. And Judge Kaplan told this jury, my job is to just rule on these things. You shouldn't read anything into it. I'm not on any side. But of course, common sense tells you the jurors are paying very close attention to what the judge does, and it does affect people's opinions. Rebecca, I know this is a ridiculous question. We're three days in, but based on what you know so far, who's winning? Look, I I think what you have so far is a compelling government presentation that the defense tried to poke some holes in, raise some questions in their opening, that things are more complicated than the government has suggested, that there are explanations. But so far, we haven't heard any of them. Part of that is that because there's a burden of proof, the government goes first. So they're going to present all their evidence. The defense may not present any, of course. They will see what they do. But not surprising that the government seems like it's ahead at this stage of things. But I do think this is a very hard battle for Sam Bankman-Fried because you have someone like the second witness, his friend. That person didn't admit to any wrongdoing. He hasn't pled guilty to any crimes. He doesn't 
have the same kind of incentive as cooperators maybe do. And what he says is, look, I believed in this. And then I found out this really terrible thing that Sam Bankman Freed knew. And it was so obvious to me that this was a problem. I left my job. Really raises questions about how Sam Bankman Freed can say that he didn't know that or he didn't appreciate it or it wasn't obvious to him. So not good for him, I would say. If I had to bet at this very early stage, I think uh, I think the government's probably pretty far out ahead. Rebecca and LJ, thank you both so much. We'll be back after the break with one last thing. As listeners of this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert teams of nerds have the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer, So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle-to-everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G-connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
We're back with one last thing. So LJ, give us some of the color. How weird is it there? In the courtroom? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that are weird. Um, one thing that's weird is it's a space where no one has any electronics and everyone has notebooks and they're writing and it kind of feels like being back in, I don't know, middle school, pre-everyone having a cell phone and you know, we're checking in with each other and making sure that we wrote down the right thing. And I even saw one journalist who said that they saw Sam Bankman-Fried's parents taking notes, sharing a legal pad and taking notes as things were happening. So everyone's writing furiously and no one's checking their phones. So that's one thing that's different. Why is why is that? Whether you're not in the courtroom, I understand no cameras in the courtroom, but why can't you be recording it or taking notes electronically? I have no idea. Just when you go into the courtroom, you have to give up. I guess maybe it's just to make sure that no one records, sneaks a phone in. So when you enter the courthouse, you have to go through security. And Judge Kaplan is famously particularly strict about electronics. There's, that's kind of something that he's known for. He doesn't even have an email address. Really? Yeah, well, that's probably <laughs> Yeah, like he doesn't have one listed yeah. on his <laughs> website. And when I asked what the best way is to reach him directly, I was told to write a letter. <laughs> which, will, which he will answer after the trial's over. And, um, you know, Michael Lewis's name keeps coming up. I mean, in the jury selection, they asked if the jurors had seen a 60 Minutes appearance. And, you know, uh, it feels he's on on trial, too, in a funny way, or he's in the middle of it. Yeah, for sure. I've seen three copies of Going Infinite in the courtroom. And things, you know, Adam Yadida, one of the witnesses, was in Michael's book. And afterwards, there were reporters going through trying to look at what Michael said he said versus what was said in the testimony. So people have the book. People are reading it literally in the courtroom during short breaks. The jurors have to have to reach a verdict so they can read it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, and then the other thing that's weird about the courtroom is, you know, the lawyers sometimes talk to the judge and the jurors aren't supposed to hear it. And they have these speakers that just this white noise comes out of. And it's really jarring when it first happens. But it's actually pretty effective. I have no idea what they're saying in the side panels. Well, thank you so much. And Judging Sam will be back in your feed on Monday morning with a week one recap from Michael Lewis himself. All week, I've been checking in with Michael Lewis after the trial and updating him on what's been going on in court. I saw Sam in real life, and the court artist said that it was much more fun to draw his hair before he got his haircuts. (laughs) (laughs) That drawing is so weird. It doesn't look like him. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't. I feel like he has like an impish quality that none of the photos capture. Yeah, nothing. It's funny. It's a very good point. He like, since then, the pictures all make him look like Richard III. This, this, this like dark villain. On our next episode, Michael and I sit down and make sense of this crazy week. Lydia Jean Cott is our court reporter. Catherine Girardot and Nisha Venkin produced this show. Sophie Crane is our editor. Our music was composed by Matthias Bossi and John Evans of Stellwagen Symphonette. Judging Sam is a production of Pushkin Industries. Got a question or comment for me? There's a website for that. atrpodcast.com. That's atrpodcast.com. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to access bonus episodes and listen ad-free, don't forget to sign up for a Pushkin Plus subscription at pushkin.fm slash plus or on our Apple show page. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. 
What could Future You do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.